0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We do more varieties and flavors of cheese than anywhere else on Earth. By pushing the boundaries of what cheese can and should be, find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com.
2: Everybody. Hello, Bobby. How's it going? Hi, how are you, Zaz? Good to see you. Good to
3: see you as well. I'm mediocre at best, if you want a real answer.
2: Oh, I know
1: you
3: work, um, you're
2: working hard. I know that.
3: Yeah, working hard and just not particularly happy. And I feel like it's good to be honest about that, because what else is the point of the show if not to just be honest about, you know, because I don't know. I'm sure a lot of our listeners aren't particularly happy right now, so why should I pretend to be? Hmm. We don't need to be be phony, aspirational people. I'm unhappy, and I'm still podcasting. Here I am It's December, (laughs) Yes, I'm in a bad mood, and I'm on the air telling you all about it. We are talking today about a myriad of things, but I guess we wanted to talk about food and grief traditions in different cultures. And we've kind of touched on it on our episode with the wonderful and lovely Mary Beth White. And I think today we're going to kind of get back into it again. And Bobby mentioned it's a great time to talk about it because we're in, you know, December, um, a month that some people refer to as the holidays. Other refer to as uh, the beginning of a long cold winter um and somebody some for some of you maybe your birthday month so and, hallelujah and if i may looking
2: at you jesus <laughs> if i may remind you too it's also the solstice which is something that yes. I, that i honor because it truly yeah. is the darkest longest night you know yeah. it's dark outside everybody comments on it you know by 4 15 or so it's getting dark um you know we don't we don't have the benefit of th- so much the light that we usually have. And I think it does affect people. And I think the holidays, the holidays, there we go again, are very hard for people that are hurting. Like you say, it doesn't have to be grief. It can be other things that are upsetting you and bothering you. And everyone around you is supposed to be celebrating. And, you know, there's all this, um, and it's hoopla.
3: pressure. It's yeah. pressure. And you know what? There are many fantastic. I've had many a fantastic holiday and I've had and many a terrible one too. And I don't know. I always think it's the thing with expectation. It's hard and you can have an expectation and end up having a great time and a wonderful memory. But I have found in my life that sometimes the best memories that I've had and the best times I've had have come from times when I just loosen my grip a little oh, bit. You, bet. you know what I mean? Because yep. I find myself also getting stressed out about things, you know, being or looking a certain way. This year is hard because we're still unfortunately dealing With COVID, and I think a lot of people, uh, you know, our family included, have things that we want to do because there are traditions and they're special to us. And we're still being forced to, you know, compromise in that way. And I think it's, to me at least, I'll speak for myself, that feels exhausting in a way that like. I'm not even sure how many of us even realize how exhausting it is anymore because we're just so used to it. Yes. You know what I mean? It's yes. become such a part of our COVID fatigue, realities. COVID fatigue. Epidemic. It's very, it's quite, fatigue. it's quite real. Endemic yeah. fatigue. It's quite real.
2: You know, I wanted to comment. We did have an episode on coping with the holidays, I, I believe. And if um, mm-hmm. anyone is. Last year. Yes. Yep. If anyone is, um, you know, experiencing, you know, struggles right now, would like to listen to that episode. I also want to remind you a lot of the funeral homes give, um, um, discussions on coping with the holidays, and there's a lot of things that you can find online um, because it really is hard when you're hurting, and all around you there's all tinsel and glitter and expectation, like you say, great expectation that it's supposed to be the best time of the year, and you know, and working with my um, grieving clients every day, I hear the pressure on them. I hear the pressure to do it, you know, not know what they should do. Should they do what they used to do? Should they do something new? Do they? I don't want to do anything. You know, most often they feel like they don't want to do anything. So everything is okay. Again, to remind you, and this is, we spoke about in our episode about coping with the holidays. Anything you do is okay. Just, you know, be compassionate to yourself. Be patient with yourself. But one of the things that happens around this season is that a lot of people go to the cemetery. They might not go during the year. Maybe they go on a birthday, but they tend to go this time of year. And they often bring with them you know, there's rituals of bringing wreaths or I think it's called cemetery blankets. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I think it covers the grave. It's like um, greenery that covers the grave. And sometimes they bring presents. And um, in the winter here, it's hard to sit at the cemetery because it's often cold. You know, sometimes people go to the cemetery and they sit for hours. They have a picnic there.
3: Well, that is a thing that i Actually discussed an episode of Life's Banquet was funeral picnics.
2: Oh no, kidding! And it, it
3: was a thing that used to happen a lot back in the day. um But yeah, I'll go to the cemetery sometimes when it's a little bit warmer and the sun's shining, and I'll just lay. I mean, I buried some of Dad's ashes at Grandma and Grandpa at his parents' grave, just so I had a place to go see Dad. And sometimes I'll just go lay there for a while, just lay on top of the skeletons. <laughs>
2: <laughs> a lot of people do that
3: yeah, yeah uh but no that that's nice and you know the holidays can also be nice I always think that like um you know it's obviously if you've lost someone or you have painful memories it's interesting because obviously they come up they can come up anytime but you know this tends to be a kind of time that triggers memories. And even for us who, even for those of us who maybe like, don't have a significant grief experience, even just the grief of like losing your childhood or of years gone by yeah. and not get back, that's a quite a sad memory too. Yeah. And so I think that like, it's also just, um, it's, an, it's an interesting thing to look at how you can have those feelings and not try to push them aside and not say like, get out of here feelings, get out of your memories. Because like, Memories are sweet and they also sometimes really hurt us terribly. And so I don't know. I think of I think of the resolution in some way, finding a way to put to balance both of those heavy things at two ends of a boat so it doesn't tip one way all the way over.
2: Beautiful. You know, beautiful. And kind of
3: just float in the middle. Because, you know, I think of times when I was a kid and I think of holidays past and I think of my dad. And that's sad, you know, it's really sad, but I don't want to like go well get out, you know, I don't want to think about that anymore. And then what's the point? You know what I mean? Then it's gone. It's like, it didn't happen. If you really try to banish it from your memory. So, but at the same time,
2: I don't want to be like wallowing in misery either. I mean, and part of that is about being in the present. So it's both, you know, we, we travel through our memory heart, you know, to the experiences we've had that are, you know, can be so rich and also so bittersweet and so painful, and yet then we also have to be in the present. So to me, that boat, the two ends, in a way, are the past and the present. Right. Well, so a lot. I mean, Mom, you were talking
3: about families going to the cemetery and spending time and doing things for Christmas and decorating. We always put a wreath. Aunt Susan always puts a wreath on Grandpa's grave. Mm. She like goes there and does all kinds of sweet things. She puts flowers there and. In the spring. So that is nice. And um, that kind of prompted us to want to talk just about like tradition and how different cultures um, around the world and in this country, um, some of the things that folks do.
2: Using food.
3: Yeah, using food, especially because, you know, on the show, sometimes some episodes are more heavily feature, like feature food and some don't. And it's like we Really love thinking about the true intersection of food and grief, yes. and sort of like let's do an episode that talks um, specifically about that. And like I said before, we mentioned some some things uh, to this effect in our episode with Mary Beth White, but this is a little bit expanded. And I found a very interesting article on Atlas Obscura uh, from a 2020 article, so from last year. But the author is Sam O'Brien, and it kind of just talks about um, greeting and food culture, uh, from, uh, rituals from around the world in different cultures. And so I just wanted to kind of read a couple of these to you and Bobby, I thought maybe we could kind of discuss it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to begin with halva. Now, Bobby, I know you love halva.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I do. It's true. Um, I also love it. It's delicious. It's a, a sweet delight made from, uh, tahini. So I've I've found all the halva that I've had has always been so flaky and delicious Mm. and kind of melts in your mouth. Mm. You can have the like stringy kind of almost cotton candy like looking halva. They have the more kind of dense one. I love it. And it comes in all different flavors, but I didn't realize this. Um, So the author, Sam O'Brien, goes on to say recipes and spellings for halva vary across the Middle East, Central Asia and India. Most versions appear in the form of a sweet, dense confection that can be enjoyed year-round, but in Iran, Turkey, and Armenia, halva also has a strong association with times of mourning. Mm. Um, in a Food 52 article, journalist Liana Ahajina recalls at funeral uh, quote at funerals attended I attended growing up in Iran, wading through a sea of black outfits with the distinct smell of frankincense in my nose. I'd search the crowd for my aunt's glistening aluminum foil wrapped <clears> treasure <throat> they carried on a tray. Uh, her family is Armenian. They consumed halva as part of a memorial lunch known as the Hoke josh, which translates to soul meal. On her blog, Turmeric and Saffron, Persian chef Etzia Merhan describes the process of making and sharing funeral halva as both therapeutic and somewhat healing. Marehan's version includes rose, uh, rose water and uh, it itself. A, a rose water is a funeral food that is often sprinkled over graves. Wow. Yeah. So I thought that was quite interesting. And um, you know, I think
2: one of the things that we're going to notice about the different foods that we talk about in the different customs and different cultures is that there's an effort made. Mm, and so, yeah. just like they said in this, it's a process. And so, you know in the name of processing grief, I think um, in making food and processing a, a, a specialty or a delicacy, you're processing your feelings and you're honoring, you know, your own grief and you're honoring the people who are grieving. Um, so it's very interesting.
3: Well, and I don't want to say, of course, there are some, you know, American grief food cultures that I, you know, wouldn't want to diminish by any means. But I think that because and when we say this often because of the over, arching kind of death denying culture that we have in America I think even doing things largely and I don't mean in specific communities or if this is something that in your community do please forgive me but I just mean in kind of an overarching way like as Americans you know because of our inability to kind of embrace death as a part of life I think we miss out on some of these traditions of like the importance in you know, making or eating halva or any of these other things that are really like, you know, ritualistic Um, because in order to really be enmeshed in the ritual, you have to be really accepting of, the circumstance you know what i mean right
2: of the the thing that happened in the first place exactly i actually Um, found a food that was similar to this in a way because of the um effort and the time that it takes this is a food called kalava which is interesting mm -hmm. it sounds like kalava right um and it's from the um orthodox christians in the balkans and there you know wheat is a long-standing symbol of both death and everlasting life and as a matter of fact, in many cultures, it's the personification of death um, holds a scythe, you know, the, um, for reaping souls, you know, and it's the same scythe that they use for wheat at the harvest. So um, this in this um, custom, it has dual meanings because it's both, um, you know, for the harvest and it's also for the death of the crops at the end. So anyway, what they do there is when the bereaved arrived at the ortho- arrive at the Orthodox Christian funeral, they come bearing this koliva, And it's particularly prevalent in Greece. And the dish is built around unprocessed kernels of wheat, which we know as wheat berries.
3: Right? Mm, oh, wheat yeah, berries. interesting. love wheat berries.
2: Yes. And just preparing the berries for a time-consuming tribute takes two days to soak. So they're soaking it and cooking it and draining it and drying the kernels, and they say that during this time, the relatives are supposed to pray and think of the deceased. And I like that part because that's really what the effort that we make in, in preparing food. You know, we're often thinking of the, who's going to be eating it and who it's made for. So then to that, they add a medley of flavorings that represent the sweetness and abundance of life. They add raisins and cinnamon and anise and sesame seeds and pomegranate seeds and ground nuts and honey. Mm. And mm-hmm. so, and often Jordan almonds, which I haven't had in a long time and I know, dry, and what... dried fruit. And they form a cross of the initials of the deceased, you know, on the top of this thing. And then a lot of cultures use parsley and they do too. So even though it's sweet, they have a few sprigs of parsley and it serves as the grass beneath the cross. And it, it, the, it, the whole mound of this wheat berry evokes the burial site itself.
3: That's amazing.
2: Yeah. That's that's beautiful.
3: Again, just the time and takes of like it's it's really like a uh, cultural permission and acceptance of of grieving and mourning, you know? Yes. And like that is communicated through this process of cooking these things, which I think is really beautiful and quite helpful too, you know?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
3: so the next thing that they mention in this wonderful article in Atlas Obscura is mannish water. Oh, What is that? Uh, you know what? I've heard the term so many times and I really don't know. So the author goes on to explain, mm-hmm. saying, not all morning rituals are explicitly solemn affairs. In Jamaica, friends and family gather for a Caribbean wake known as nine nights, during which they share stories, dance, play games, and eat. Goal is to encourage the deceased spirit to know, uh, known as a dupe to depart. Mm-hmm. If the dupee doesn't leave, it will stay in limbo and become angry, an angry spirit that haunts the living. Wow. The nine nights are punctuated by drumming and dancing that mm. offer an energetic contrast to death. Love that. This vitality is also conveyed via mannish water, a goat soup mm-hmm. with alleged a- aphrodisiac properties. Wow. The recipe varies, but generally it uses a base of male, goat head, entrails, and testicles that mingle in a broth of carrots, potatoes, and green bananas. Most cooks add a thick white rum, sorry, add a kick with white rum and some heat courtesy of scotch bonnets and habanero peppers. Good old scotch bonnet. Mm, At once, a gamey, savory, and spicy soup often gets paired with the balmy Um, uh, white hard dough bread and white rum. Remember Bami when mm-hmm. we went to Jamaica? Yeah. 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 Um, so uh, because of its connection to reproduction and new life, water also appears at a celebratory occasion, like a wedding. But I love that in, in somebody passing a, the ritual of helping um, someone pass to the next dimension, wherever that may be, I think is so beautiful. And um celebrating vitality mm. at death, right? Like celebrating, yes. like, cause that's a feeling I think that a lot of us have when some, we lose somebody um, it's hard when that person is maybe your most important person. But like if someone in, co- in your community who you love or, you know, like, it makes you sometimes just realize your own appreciation for life that much more. And I think like celebrating life when somebody passes is like incredibly brave and beautiful and, Something I wish that we kind of could focus on more here.
2: But, you know, in some ways we also celebrate the person who died's vit- vitality. Yes, of like, course. You, know, you think of them in their vitality and in their best and in their life and the energy that they had and the spirit that they brought to their life. So that makes a lot of sense to celebrate Definitely. that. Definitely. Yeah.
3: I love it. Do you
2: want to do the next one? Sure. Um, let's see what else I found. Just a very interesting... Well, of course... We did discuss one of these um, when we had our dear friend Kathy on, because she talked about funeral potatoes. Mm. And actually, you know, Kathy's from Utah. She's from Salt Lake City. And the origin of Utah's classic casserole are murky. Most sources credit its rise in popularity to a woman's organization within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Latter- Saints. So it's true. A lot. You know, a lot of these things are based in religious um, groups. Um, This was known as the Relief Society, and their chief responsibility was to attend the needs of the bereaved, and this included the meals. So mourners found themselves comforted by cornflake-topped combinations of shredded and cubed potatoes, cream of chicken, or mushroom soup. Probably had to be, what's the soup? Um, Campbell's. Campbell's, of course. Camp, sorry. And sour cream and butter and, oh, my God, grated cheddar cheese. How could it be bad with all those things in it? That sounds delicious. I know. It's still served at post-memorial gatherings and church potlucks. Um, And a lot of people talk about this um, funeral potatoes. It's kind of like a a cultural metaphor Mm -hmm. for what we're talking about, you know, for the people in the community wanting to step in and feed the mourners. And we've seen that when we talked about Shiva, we talked about how, you know, you want to provide food for the people that are mourning so they don't have to do anything. And that, you know, it becomes a way um, of helping to acknowledge the grief of others. So funeral potatoes, um, while the dish may have been created for times of sorrow, it's become a a point of pride for people in Utah. And when Salt Lake City hosted the 2002 Winter Olympics, they developed an official commemorative pin featuring funeral potatoes. Wow, that's so interesting. Huh. You know, it's it's this is a spoiler
3: alert. So anyone who has not yet seen the new Sex and the City reboot on HBO, tur- turn off now and fast forward like a minute. <laughs> but um, in the new Sex and the City reboot, in the first episode, Mr. Big dies. And there's a whole funeral and Carrie, like, you know, requests not having um, flowers sent. And so people send like this overwhelming amount of food. Mm -hmm. And it was so evident, like how overwhelming food can be sometimes too. It's this very interesting thing because it's like one of those times when it's like everybody's right. You know what I mean? Like it's the instinct to send something, to somebody, a casserole, a, you know, a spread of bagels and lox, whatever it is, it's so, is so earnest and yes. it's so kind. Yes. And like, I, I would never necessarily tell somebody don't do it unless someone like specifically asks, please don't send me anything. Right. And then also for the person who's like overwhelmed, like getting all this stuff and they're like, what, what do I do with all this shit? You know what I mean? Now I have to like make room in my fridge or right. throw this out or like, like, You know, obviously it's just a television show, but I know this actually happens. Just like you're like, have to look through all this stuff. And all you want to do sometimes is just go to bed, Right. you know? So it's very interesting. Uh, Yes. It's a a weird one. I I haven't fully wrapped my head around where I'd land on it, but it's difficult. So here's another one from this article that I thought was interesting and I'd never heard of before called Amish Funeral Pie. Mm. So in Amish and Old Order Mennonite communities of the 18th century Pennsylvania, they had spoil-proof sweetness of raisin pie. So I guess mm. this is a pie that lasts for a long time. Right. The bereaved would be responsible for providing their guests a meal. Wow, that seems like a lot of responsibility for someone who is bereaved. Right, yes. <laughs> um, I guess. I don't know. I, for all our Amish listeners, just kidding. Um, which led to the rise of the culinary opportunists known as funeral runners who attended services just for free dinner. Oh, my goodness. But the, visitor, but the visitors all brought dessert. dessert right. <laughs> Raisin pie became a favorite choice as it traveled well, offered sweet comfort, and used non-seasonal staples. Right. Like funeral potatoes, the pie's filling relied on common pantry items, raisins, sugar, eggs, flour, salt, and lemon that could be transformed into a treat at a moment's notice. Also, like the and counterpart, the dessert was such a common sight at post-memorial meals that it earned a new
2: moniker, funeral pie. You know, it's funny. They said the pantry items. The other day was our dear friend Kathy's birthday. And I woke up in the morning and I was working that day, but I wanted to do something. I had this strong rush, you know, of just wanting to do something. And of course, the staples that were in my refrigerator were milk, which all I meant was oat milk, um, flour, mm-hmm. butter, and eggs, and that's all I had. Cheese, that's all I had. So I made gougère, and I have to you made say, made gougère
3: with oat milk.
2: Yes, I got to tell you How something. How did it come out? It was delicious. With I got to tell you, milk. yes, I got to tell you something. Gougère is one of those items because what they're saying right here is that with the funeral pie. You needed to make it quickly. You never knew when there would be a funeral and you had to make it. So you needed things that weren't necessarily seasonal, that were just in your th- gougere, folks. Um, if you don't know what gougere is, it's a French cheese puff that's made with a pâté choux. And then you add eggs to it um, quickly, and then you fold in cheese and just bake it. It puffs up, and it's amazing. It's but really anyway, quick, I just quick, is to- <laughs> <and> cheap.
3: <laughs> Although I must mention that filling a pie with raisins is rude. <laughs> and I can't imagine how it would make anyone feel better. And I'm not even again, I'm not someone who doesn't like raisins, but an entire pie where the whole filling is raisins, I feel like is, I, I almost seems like a cruel joke. Hmm. Um, Okay, one other one is ham salad. What is that? So they say that at some funeral traditions offer solemn, moving moments of connection, and others can lead to more frivolous sata symbols. In the late 19th century England, ham was one such sata symbol. Very interesting, Mm. huh? Yeah. Um, Receiving a stylish service came to be known as being buried with ham, as not just anyone could afford such a meaty extravagance at their funeral tea. While ham isn't quite the display of opulence as it once was, it's still prevalent at British and American funerals in baked and cold-cut forms. In the United States, Upper Midwest, Mid-Atlantic, and Southeast regions, this culinary tradition evolved into the mayo-based delight known as ham salad. Though some cooks added the likes of hard-boiled eggs, celery, or onions. The basic recipe for the salad used ground ham, mayonnaise, pickle relish, slathered between slices of white bread or atop crackers. The cheap, filling spread rose to prominence at post-depression American funeral
2: luncheons. Mm-hmm. Wow! I almost—I'm always kind of almost in the mood for it. <laughs> <Sounds good>. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> you know, another thing that came to mind: we did a beautiful episode on deliver the shiva.
3: Yes, and, with Peter um, Shelsky. With
2: Peter Shelsky, and it was a really wonderful. And what we talked about then was interesting because we were talking about bagels, and we were talking about how bagels are a circular food. Mm, yeah. So I found from the same article that you're talking about now that um, Jewish mourners, um, according to the Talmud, it's called a meal of consolation, and it must be provided for the de- deceased family by friends and neighbors, but that they often use circular food. But they didn't mm. just mean bagels. They talked about lentils. Mm. They talked about eggs. Yes, circle. All of those are because it represents the cycle of life, which involves not only birth and death, but joy and sadness. Bittersweet. Duality. My, my favorite thing to talk about. Um, lentils also, har- also harken back to the stew that Jacob is said to have prepared for his father Isaac after the death of his grandfather. And eggs, a symbol of new life, typically appear in hard-boiled form, a preparation that doubles as a metaphor for resilience in the face of tragedy. So both lentils and eggs are also smooth, without openings or mouths, meant to symbolize the mourner's sorrow, rendering them unable to speak. So you can wow. see all the met- the symbology and the um, mm. of the foods. It's so I don't know that everybody eating them knows it. You know I think it's so important when you do something as a ritual. It's helpful to explain it. Because it has such meaning and um, maybe a lot of the people or don't our know. There are personal
3: rituals, though. We exactly. don't have to explain at all.
2: No, we don't. They're very... right.
3: Like my ritual of every night coming home and watching the Larry Sanders show <laughs> and having a glass of wine. <laughs> Who can explain why I need to watch the same episode of the Larry Sanders show six times over? I can only say that it's very comforting to me when I'm feeling stressed out and exhausted. Yes. Um, no, but I think that... Um, I think ritual is really, really beautiful Mm -hmm. and I want to try to find a way in my own life, aside from Larry Sanders, of um, incorporating more ritual. And we'd love to hear from you if there are rituals that are either uh, culturally important to you or just kind of personal and unique to your own family or community, Like, please let us know. Um, You can let us know at processing at uh, heritageradionetwork.org. or on our Instagram at processing underscore podcast. And we'd love to do a follow-up and read some um, on the show.
2: Yeah, we've talked about rituals a lot. And certainly as a bereavement specialist, it's a big part of my conversations with people. What I find is that children intuitively create rituals and don't think at all about, they do it all the time. Just think about it. Every little play movement is kind of a ritual that they create. And then, then often they do it over and over again. And often, um, I tell parents to check in with their kids and help help the kids find a way to make rituals for for death because yeah. they can do it so naturally. You know,
3: mm, that's very interesting. Well, you know, look here's the facts: life can be extremely challenging and heartbreaking and difficult, and also lovely. But I think to get us through all the things that we experience, and also um, to help us face the fact that we all have a limited time here. Our mortality. And, you know, yep. Uh, we have to find ways to give it meaning and depth and fun and beauty. And I think that these types of things uh, play into that. You know what I mean? Yes. I think We have to really like, we all have to find a way to get through the days and hopefully at the, at its best, make the days pleasant and and memorable and uh that can be hard sometimes but but having ritual and routine also like can help just things small rituals we do for ourselves
2: um are really important i often call them bridges over troubled water Mm -hmm. because sometimes the things that are really hard to do like people say it's hard for me to get back in the car after my husband died in a car accident or it's hard for me to go to bed at night because he died in bed or you know whatever it is that happens yeah of course when we can somehow come up with a ritual that helps us bridge that place from the terror to the to the faith you know it's pretty powerful
3: i used to you know speaking of the holidays like i used to spend christmas was always a holiday that i spent with my dad my parents were divorced mom i'm sorry to break it to you you and dad were divorced i don't know if you remember that um but uh so my parents were divorced and I would always spend Thanksgiving with Bobby and I would you know always spend Christmas with my dad and there were some really nice times in there my dad I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago was married to someone who was not kindness was not her strength um and so some Christmases were difficult but Christmas was always with my dad and I and my dad and my former stepmother got divorced my and my dad was alone I would always go go down to North Carolina where he had moved to spend it with him or he would come up here when he still could kind of travel he'd come up here and we'd go uh to Bomonti's which is the oldest restaurant in Williamsburg and a place that um I and and you mom and and fa- all the whole family has been a regular at for what 50, 20 years on Christmas Eve um, well, the Christmas Eve tradition started with my Dad, and it was very important to us, and it was very fun. And some of the best memories I ever have in my life were my father and I on Christmas Eve. and Sometimes they would bring us over on the house, a big giant plate of mussels marinara and my dad skeeved seafood. He wouldn't eat it. So I'd have to, I do not want to be rude. So I'd eat like a literally like five pounds of I'm not even, I'm not saying literally as figuratively. I mean, literally as it is in Webster's dictionary, eat five pounds of mussels by myself. Um, and so when my dad passed away, um, and even before that, the one, really when he couldn't come up and do it anymore. Um, I'd usually go down a little bit late for Christmas with him and Bobby and my stepdad, Rob, and I, and an assortment of other friends and family members would go to Bumonti's, And it was one of those things that, like, I'm really glad I didn't let the tradition die um, because it was too sad because my dad died. And I, you know, just adapted it. And this year I'm kind of sad because we were supposed to go, but it seems that, you know, COVID is still kind of wreaking havoc. So we're not going to go, but that's, you know, it, it hurts. Not because of, I mean, yes, I love their muscles marinara, but really I just love the tradition and the ritual of all getting together in that way, doing the same thing every year. It's nice. And it's healing. But
2: yeah. You know, the rituals that we do are very helpful. And sometimes we have to alter them, but it's important to keep pieces of them somehow.
3: Yeah. If, I mean, if you can, it can yeah. be, it can be helpful. And yeah. just to kind of, yeah, not, I mean, look, sometimes something's too hard. and You have to give it up totally. It's very sometimes the person to isn't there.
2: right? Sometimes the person isn't there to do it with. So you do yeah. have to create a new way of doing it, but it doesn't mean that you give it up altogether.
3: Yeah. And now my other ritual for the holidays is that, um, for a long time on Christmas, like, well, I would sometimes be with my dad. And then when my dad died, so I guess this will be like the fourth Christmas without him. Sometimes I would have people over and make a dinner. And I always just felt like making Christmas dinner as much as like, I always fantasized it about it being so fun. And the food is always beautiful. And was always lovely. And don't get me wrong, but I felt like, It didn't feel right. And I don't exactly know why. Maybe it was because I missed dad. Maybe it was because I was like kind of in pain and working a little too hard. So the past couple of years, I've adapted a new tradition of just doing whatever really makes me happy. Mm -hmm. And that is my, I've found that my favorite Christmas tradition for myself here in New York City is going to a movie and then going to Bemelman's Bar in the Carlisle Hotel and listening to the piano player and having a fancy drink and then going down to Chinatown and getting delicious Chinese food somewhere at one of my favorite places down there. Cool. And coming home and watching It's a Wonderful Life. Mm -hmm. And that's just like perfection to me. It's like easy. I don't have to do anything. Nobody's relying on me for their good time. I just get to like, sometimes I do it by myself. Sometimes I'm with somebody else, you know, it's nice.
2: Nice. Yeah. And I realized this holiday, I was thinking because I didn't grow up with Christmas, I had Christmas with your dad, but I didn't grow yep. up with Christmas. That it doesn't have the same nostalgia that other holidays have for me. Um, but what I do remember is that your dad made it very, very special. It was the, it truly was the most magical day of the year. He was a bit of an elf, and he. Would love to, he would make it a surprise. Like he would, even his own presence, he would make a surprise. Yeah, he used to love music. True. He loved albums. Anyone who knew John Tangor knew that he was an absolute music file, musophile, whatever you call it. And he knew every music of every kind and genre. He loved everything. So he'd go and buy himself like about 25 albums. And then Christmas morning, he would kind of put a blindfold on and then put them up in different places. <laughs> so when he walked out, he saw his own albums that he bought. <laughs> <laughs> but it was always magic. And one thing he did was so wonderful. He was very creative, as Ara has talked about, extremely creative. And he was an artist and he used to make papier-mâché sculptures. And he would kind of hide in his room or the bathroom even to make sculptures and not let <laughs> anybody see them. And then at Christmas, he would make the most beautiful sculptures of all kinds. Um, and one year he made you all the little figures from every fairy tale in these little hand puppets and they were so sweet he put talk about ritual he put so much effort into making making those gifts Uh, yep (laughs) that's sweet all right we got we got the tears the, the holiday tears going here yeah um magic You know, the mat, you know, finding magic in some way, if you choose to, you don't have to, but you know, finding, creating magic. And some people are really good at it. Your dad was really good at creating magic. He was, he was good.
3: Um, all right, folks. Well, look, we're sending you our love and, uh, hope that you can make some nice, create some nice rituals and do something nice for yourself this month. And if you can't, you just feel like shit. That's okay, too.
2: And also the ritual can be a hot bath. It can be getting your nails done. It can be taking a yes. walk. You know, for exactly. me, taking a walk in nature, I love to go to Camp Set, which is a state park near us on any That's holiday, on any holiday, because it's just caring, caring, you know, and loving. And even when you're lonely or you're sad or you're grieving, you still can love yourself and have compassion for yourself. Yeah. Like Rob, uh,
3: Bobby's husband always says, sometimes it helps to just get a good airing out, which- <laughs> I love that. I always think Mm -hmm. of that when we go on a nature walk, especially when it's brisk out, a good airing out. Sometimes that feels really nice. So go air yourself up. love
2: all of you and wherever you're at, love yourself and have compassion for yourself and keep your heart open. All right, folks. Uh, uh, And if
3: you have a minute, a spare moment to rate, review, and subscribe to the show, one of those things that I know you probably hear on a lot of podcasts: rate, review, and subscribe. What does it mean? But why should I? Well, let me tell you, friends. Um, it makes a huge difference in terms of our visibility to other people who are searching for podcasts. And you know, we feel passionately about what we do on the show, and we have gotten so much wonderful feedback. You know, privately from many of you saying how much the show means to you and how you love it. And that is incredible. And if you feel compelled to share that kind of, um, comment, uh, via iTunes and in a review, that would be wonderful. Even just a simple two second click, yeah. um, for a rating really helps tell a friend because we really want to be able to keep a uh, Keep Doing the show and keep bringing you new episodes, and really the only way we can do that is is with your support. So, we, love we appreciate feedback, you because
2: we're speaking yes. out into the unknown. You know, we don't really know who's listening, we'd really love to hear who's listening. As, as whatever you can tell us would be so appreciated. We know that your best friend
3: Barbara Feldman is listening, she's yes. been binge listening, so let's give her a shout out and,
2: and hello. Thank you, some of and, my dear clients as well, it means a lot to them. And they all say, we love Zara. <laughs> oh, stop it. Yeah, That's They do. They do. i am
3: tell you they do. Well, I'm blushing. You can't tell because this <laughs> is radio, but mm-hmm. I've, I'm a fully blushed. Um, all right, folks. Thank you so much. And mom, I love you. Great episode. And uh, thanks for tuning in and take care of yourselves and each other.
2: Love you too. Love you all. Bye.
1: This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin, the state of cheese, makes half of the nation's specialty cheese and wins more awards than any other state or country. Our heritage and traditions, master cheesemaker program, and the American propensity for innovation all put Wisconsin on the cutting wedge of cheesemaking. With over 600 varieties of cheese to choose from, and 5,500 national and international awards and counting, get ready to turn your refrigerator into a trophy case. Enjoying a Wisconsin cheese is basically like winning a gold medal in culinary achievement. Set your mind at cheese. When you bite into a wedge of Wisconsin wonderful, you know it is made with the ultimate skill and passion possible. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Thank you
3: so much for joining us for Processing. We realize that sharing these types of deeply intimate stories on air is a very personal decision. We began this project as a way to connect our listeners through shared experiences and storytelling. We hope that Processing can be a platform for sharing, learning, and healing. We appreciate our guests' willingness to be vulnerable and value nothing more than making both our guests' and listeners' experiences with our show positive and progressive, if you're interested in being a guest on the show or writing in a listener letter, please email processing at heritageradionetwork.org. Please follow us at processing_podcast on Instagram. Processing is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, Network. Dot .org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please, Join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.